Welcome to the Holy Bible Study for Genesis chapter 21. Today we're continuing the narrative of Abraham. We're going to talk about the birth of his son Isaac to his wife Sarah and why God has chosen Isaac to be the seed of Abraham. So even though Abraham had another child, it was not the one whom God had chosen to inherit all the promises that God has made unto Abraham regarding the land that would later become known as Israel. We're also going to talk about Ishmael today, the son of Hagar, and why he's not the chosen seed, and how that all affects the Israeli-Palestinian conflict today. So there's a lot to cover. Let's just jump right into it. Hope you all enjoy it. God bless you all. Godspeed. visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah, as he had spoken. So what we're talking about here is, a while back, the Lord had promised Abraham and Sarah that in her old age, and again, she's around 90 years old now, that she would conceive a son from her own womb, and that that would be the chosen seed of Abraham, who would be the recipient of all the promises and blessings that God spoke upon Abraham. And we're going to learn about that child a little bit this evening in this chapter, and that's going to be Isaac. So it's not Ishmael, and we're going to find out some other reasons why in this chapter. So that's what it means when it says the Lord visited Sarah. It means that just, that he, just as he had visited Mary through the Holy Spirit, and she conceived Jesus, uh, so too now the Lord sending the Holy Spirit to fill Sarah with the seed that he had promised uh, through Abraham, her husband, who was actually almost around 100 years old. So it was, it was miraculous. It wasn't as miraculous as a virgin birth. Obviously Jesus, you know, holds the trophy in the most miraculous birth in history. But this was probably the second most miraculous birth in the whole Holy Bible. And it says, The Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken, meaning that he had placed the child in her womb. And verse 2, Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now, we spoke about this when God first gave the command that Abraham and everyone in his house and all his descendants, in order to show that they were in covenant with Yahweh, with their God, that they would have to circumcise themselves at eight days old. And I talked about the significance of eight days is because and this is where the Bible trumps science, where a lot of people today will say, oh, well, you know, the Bible needs to catch up with science and science, science, science. Actually, a lot of the science today is proving what God said in the Bible thousands of years ago. And this right here is perfect proof of that, because if you were to circumcise a child before eight days, it would be too early, and that child would have health issues could possibly even die. If you were to circumcise them after eight days, you'd also run into the same trouble. 
But at eight days old, scientists have found and doctors have found that that is the perfect day to circumcise a newborn baby. So God was telling us that, again, almost 5,000 years ago in his word of truth in the Holy Bible in the book of Genesis. And scientists and doctors didn't realize that till uh, within the last 100 years. So go figure. Holy Bible always trumps manly, man-made science. And science eventually, if done right, will catch up to the Holy Bible and will prove the Holy Bible true. Verse 5, And Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. So again, that's miraculous. Could you imagine being 60, 70 years old and being able to produce children with your wife, let alone 100 years old? So yeah, that's, that's a miracle in itself. Verse 6, And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. Now, it's what she's referring to here, and she's turning it into a positive sense, was when the Lord had appeared to Abraham with the two angels before he went and smote Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham had prepared a meal for them, and, and the Lord sat down and ate with the two angels. Abraham and the Lord were communing, and the Lord said to Abraham, Yes, you're going to have a child. It's going to be of Sarah's womb, even in her old age. And then Sarah laughed in the tent because she heard him say that and was like, Nine years old, I'm going to have a child. And the Lord was like, Why did you laugh? And of course she got defensive. She's like, Oh, Lord, I didn't laugh. But she did. So now what she's doing is since the Lord knew uh, that she had laughed back then, and, and that he felt that she was, you know, basically be joking about what he was promising, because she didn't believe it would come to pass. Now that it did come to pass, she's saying this because she wants to turn that negative into a positive, saying, Lord, I may have laughed back then, mockingly, but now I'm laughing out of joy, at the miraculous thing you have done for me. So back then the laugh was a negative mocking thing. Today the laugh is a positive uh, faith-filled thing. Saying, Lord, only you can do all things. You did this great miracle. You made me to laugh with great joy at this great miracle you have done in me in my old age. And the name Isaac in Hebrew actually means laughter. So that's why they named him Isaac, because it, it's just part of the story. It's, it's all about you know his miraculous birth, that she had initially laughed and mocked that God was going to do this great miraculous thing in her life, and then when he brought it to pass, she again laughed with great joy. So Isaac is completely associated with laughter. Okay, verse 7, and she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, 
which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Now here comes little Ishmael into the picture again. Now at this point, it's said that Ishmael isn't so little anymore. He's a teenager. Some scholars say he was probably about 13 years old here. So this just goes to show the nature of this kid. Um, his Egyptian nature coming out. That he was mocking a baby. I mean, this guy's just... It's, that's where all the um, Muslims and the Islamists and all them descend from is, is Ishmael. So you can see why they're still today so just animalistic and in their nature and, and violent and mocking and, and hateful. Uh, this this kid was. So that just goes to show why they are. So yeah, so little Ishmael was mocking a baby. Obviously out of jealousy. Verse 10, Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman, meaning Hagar, and her son, meaning Ishmael, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. Now, even though Ishmael was a bad seed, he was still Abraham's son. And so Abraham felt bad that he was being told to cast this child out and send him away. Um, but in the big picture, this was God's will. And so that's what happens when we try to, and I've said this in past studies, bring things to pass in our own way without letting God do what he does according to his will. So that's why Abraham knew God had promised him a seed that was going to inherit all these blessings and be a great nation and be a blessing unto the nations. But since he didn't want to wait, him and Sarah devised a plan to bring this seed about themselves by having Abraham go into Hagar, not trusting that God was going to bring the seed through Sarah in her old age. And so that created the mess of Ishmael. So God never intended for Abraham to have Ishmael in the first place, so you can't blame God for saying he's not the seed. This one I'm bringing you miraculously was the seed from the start. That was my plan, but you went ahead and you did things your own way. So now this child is going to get sent away. So here it's not just Sarah saying, cast out this bondwoman and her son, she'll have no inheritance. It's actually God himself that's going to say the same thing. He's going to tell Abraham, look, send the child away. He is not the seed. And unfortunately, that's how Islam, one of the many lies of Islam, is that, oh, the Old Testament was miswritten, and it was really supposed to be Ishmael that was the seed and not Isaac. So, you know, they just rewrite the Holy Bible to suit their own agenda. And that's why St. Paul said, if we or an angel from heaven bring any other gospel to you, any other word of God than that which we have brought, let him be accursed. And that's what Muhammad and Allah of Islam do. They bring you another gospel, another word of God, saying the first was corrupted, which is not true because uh, the Bible predates Islam by at least 1,500 years. And if you go back to the oldest found copies of Genesis in the world, 
they're not corrupted. They say exactly what our King James Bible or English Standard Bible, whatever Bible you have today, says. So it's the book of Islam that corrupts the true word of God. And the Bible has never been uh, corrupted in any way. It is truly the word of God and you can trust it as such. Alright, so let's not get too far off here. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of Ishmael. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in your sight because of the lad, and because of your bondwoman. And all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall your seed be called. So like I just said, this is God's will. This child is going to be sent away because it is not the inheritor of the promises of God. So if you ever have the Muslims or any uneducated Christian who's anti-Semitic tell you, oh, well, the Jews, they're not really Israel, and Isaac wasn't really the seed, Ishmael was the seed, and Isaac stole the inheritance. Right here, Genesis, first book of the Holy Bible. Read it one more time. God said to Abraham, In all that Sarah has said, about sending this bondwoman Hagar and her son Ishmael away. Hearken unto Sarah, saith the Lord. For in Isaac, in Isaac, in Isaac, get it? Shall Abraham's seed, seed, seed be called. That's the key word I've pointed out in past studies. Seed, S-E-E-D. Because when God made the promise to Abraham, he said, your seed will inherit these things. Your seed shall be a blessing. God didn't say your child or your son. He said your seed. Multiple times in the book of Genesis, whenever Isaac is spoken of in relation to Abraham, he is referred to as his seed. So there should be no questions, no debate. Isaac is the seed of Abraham, and through Isaac... We get Jacob, also known as Israel, and that's where we get the nation of Israel. So, yes, Israel is on the land they're supposed to be today. The land God has promised to them. They actually have a lot more land that they're not currently dwelling on that belongs to them, according to the Holy Bible. And I get into that in other Holy Bible studies. Um, I write about it in my book, The Signs of Our Time. So go pick that up if you want to read all about um, the connection of Israel to the land that they currently possess and that they should possess, which they don't currently. Um, it's, it's a big explanation on the history of Israel and the connection between the Jews and the land. So definitely read that if you haven't already. And verse 13, also of the son of the bondwoman, Ishmael, I will make a nation because he is your seed. After all, he is your child, Abraham, but he is not the seed by which your name shall be called. Verse 14, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now, before I go further here in this little story, I want to pick up some more on the issue of the bondwoman and the free woman. Okay, the free woman here is Sarah. And the bondwoman, which was the Egyptian, she was Hagar. So get that. The, the, the Jewish wife of Abraham, 
of the chosen line of Almighty God Yahweh. That's whom Sarah descended from. She is known as the free woman. Hagar, who was an outsider, um, a foreigner from Egypt, a land that worshipped false gods, she is known as the bondwoman. She's under bondage because her society, her peoples, do not know the true God of heaven and earth. Now, St. Paul picks up on that in the New Testament and elaborates on that in a spiritual sense, saying that us Christians are sons of the free women, of the free woman, excuse me, while unbelievers are the children of the bondwoman, where they don't know the true God, and so in the end they're going to be sent away, and they will remain in bondage until the day of judgment. Whereas if you become a child of the free woman, of the chosen line of Yahweh God, through whom Jesus Christ flows, then Lord Jesus breaks the bondage off of you, and you become truly free. Now, we're going to turn real quick from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and I want you to turn to the book of Galatians, and we are going to be in, I believe, Chapter 4. So go ahead and turn to chapter 4 of Galatians in your New Testament. And I just want to pick up with what Paul had taught here about the comparison of the bondwoman and the free woman. So let's do chapter 4, verse 22, because it really meshes well with what I'm teaching here. In Genesis chapter 21 about Isaac and Ishmael. Alright, verse 22, chapter 4, Galatians. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by the bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman, Hagar, was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise. Or the point Paul's trying to make here would also be by the spirit. So Ishmael, again, is that animalistic child of the flesh, where Isaac was the promised seed of God brought forth through the Spirit of God in the time appointed through Abraham in his old age. So Ishmael, son of the flesh, Isaac, son of the Spirit, or the promise. Verse 24, which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which generateth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai. Now, Agar here, he actually means Hagar. It's just the New Testament. Sometimes the names will get changed a little bit. Um, like, for instance, when Jesus refers to Noah in the New Testament of the King James Version, Noah is spelled a little differently. Um, Isaiah, you can find his name spelled differently in the New Testament because it's, it's the Hebrew and the Greek. The languages are different, but we're talking about the same people here. So for this Hagar is Mount Sinai, symbolically, allegorically, in Arabia and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. 
But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, you barren that bear not, break forth and cry, you that travaileth not. For the desolate hath many more children than she with has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of the promise. Now here, you're always going to find throughout the Holy Bible, that's, I call it the tale of two cities. You have God's city, Jerusalem, and then you have the cities of men, which is primarily Babylon. It always goes back to Babylon from Genesis to Revelation. But you'll also read of Egypt, that's like a Babylon, Assyria. Um, here it's Arabia. But Jerusalem always represents God's people, God's land. And here God's saying that Jerusalem, which one day we will all dwell in, and Christ will rule and reign from the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven, but it's still going to be coming down on that actual plot of land named Jerusalem in the Holy Land today. So um, don't get the idea that Jerusalem today means nothing, because God says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, you will be blessed to do so. So God's comparing here the children of Isaac to children of Jerusalem, and he's comparing the children of Ishmael to the children of Arabia the flesh. Alright, so we read, Rejoice you barren, the bear not. Uh, verse 28, We brethren as Isaac was are the children of the promise. So he's saying, Everyone that's in Christ and receives the Spirit of God is grafted into that family tree through Lord Jesus Christ and we become a child of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Israel, etc. Verse 29, but as then he that was born after the flesh, Ishmael, persecuted him that was born after the spirit. We just read about that. He mocked him. Even so it is now. So the children of the flesh, primarily here, I guess we can say Islam, who were descendants of Ishmael, are going to persecute him that was born after the spirit, the Christians. Do we see that? This is prophetical from Paul here. We see the Islamists persecuting the Christians today. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman. We are not children of the flesh. We are not children of the world of false gods. But we are children of the free woman, saith Paul. We are children of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, again, where Paul said in the New Testament, um, you know, come out from the world. And I believe it says it in the Old Testament as well, where it says, be you separate, saith the Lord. Be you separate from the world. Come out from the world. Don't be um, just like everybody else in the world. That's the thing that I have a problem with today and I write about in my books is that you can't really tell who are true Christians today because 80% of this nation of the USA says they're Christian, but then they go living like the rest of the godless heathenist world. So you can't really, t I mean, the television they're watching, the movies they watch, the music they listen to, and then they call themselves Christian. So it's like, I can't decipher if, if I were to put these two people in a room, an unbeliever and a believer, and they're both 
watching the same movies. They're watching the same television series. They're watching the same award shows with all the godless celebrities. They're listening to the same godless rap music, um, which is just horrible today. I mean, rap music, I used to listen to it uh, growing up as a kid. I think most kids my age did. But today it's just it's it's demonic. It's satanic. I know a lot of people say that. Older generations say that of newer music. But honestly, the... I hear this stuff the kids play at work, and it's it's they actually praise Satan, they praise demons, they all about raping women and and just doing drugs, and that's, that's all the music is about today. And we wonder why this generation is so far from God. But when Christians do all these same things that the worldly people do, you got a question: Are you truly Christian? Do you truly know God? Because when the flood comes to take them all away, and the second time around it's not going to be a flood come Judgment Day. But what what I want to say there is is when the rapture comes, like a flood, to take the believers out of this world before all hell breaks loose in the seven-year tribulation, a lot of you so-called Christians are going to miss the boat. You're going to be left behind because you can call yourselves Christians, but if you're living like the godless world... How Christian are you, really? Honestly. You may be saved because you put your trust and your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ, but if you're living like the world, you may not go up when we hear come up hither because you're so consumed with the world and the things of the world and the ways of the world as opposed to the ways of God and the things he says is good and righteous and holy and just. So so get in the Bible. Learn what God says is right, what God says is wrong. Adjust your life to that, to match that, to stay away from the things that he says are bad, and to do the things that he says is good. And now I don't want to get too far off on a whole other message here, but just be a child of the free woman. That's who you are in Christ. Don't be an animalistic, fleshly person of the world like an Ishmael. We're not descendants of Ishmael. We're not to live like the godless Islamists or the heathen of the world. We are to live like Christ. Like righteous Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Israel. That is who we descend from. Those are our patriarchs. Not Muhammad. Not some false prophets of other religions. So start acting like Christians. Start acting like Jews. Like you know the true God of heaven and earth. Alright, so let's pick back up in the book of Genesis now. We're back in chapter 21. We're done with the New Testament Galatians chapter I wanted to touch on. And we're back to Hagar after she had just been sent away with Ishmael by Abraham. Uh, So get that there. So God made Abraham send Ishmael away. Gotta get that. Okay, she wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba, verse 15 of Genesis 21. And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat her down over against him a good way off, as it were a bowshot. For she said, Let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. So, apparently, she was wandering in the wilderness, so she got lost. And she couldn't find her way back to Egypt where she was heading. That was her homeland. 
And so she was worried that the child was possibly going to die from, you know, malnutrition or, you know, not getting, um, you know, the things his body needed to survive. So she went and laid him down underneath the tree. And now she's weeping because she's feeling she's going to lose her child. Verse 17, And God heard the voice of the lad. So I guess Ishmael was crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth you, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. So this here just shows God's mercy towards all human beings. Now, he shows great mercy and great grace and great faithfulness and great love and blessings to those who are his, to those who are called by his name, or to those who call on his name, either way you want to put it. But also, it says God lets the rain fall on the just and the unjust alike. He blesses the believers and unbelievers alike, because he's just a good, gracious, merciful God. But obviously, when you believe in him and you put your trust, faith, and hope in him, you can receive his blessings 24-7. Whereas once in a while, you know, he will shower some blessings on unbelievers just to show that, you know, he's up there. And a lot of times they'll attribute that to him and they'll turn to him and that's how they come to God. Because they see his great goodness and grace and mercy in their lives. Uh, that's what he does here. He shows grace and mercy to um, Ishmael and Hagar. And also, I believe he does it for Abraham's sake, just like he saved Lot from among the heathen in Sodom and Gomorrah. Not so much for Lot's sake, but for the sake of Abraham. So I think here, too, he's going to bless this child Ishmael, even though it's a child of the flesh. And Hagar, he's going to bless them for Abraham's sake. So God heard the voice of the lad, Ishmael, angel of God called to Hagar, said unto her, What ails you? He said, Fear not, God has heard the voice of a lad where he is. Arise, Hagar, lift up the lad and hold him in your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Now this obviously is separate from the great nation that God is going to make of Isaac, which is Israel. So the great nation he's speaking of here with Ishmael, I believe, is going to be the, not just one nation, but more so a, a tribe of people. And Ishmael, I believe, is going to be the father of the Arabs of the Middle East. And not the father, because obviously before him um, you had, you know, Canaan. And before him, I, the name doesn't come to the top of my head, but I touched on him in the early Genesis studies. Um, Nimrod and others. There were other men through whom the Arabs were coming through, the lines they were coming through in the Middle East throughout the early chapters of Genesis. And Ishmael is just going to be another father through which they're going to flow. And God opened Hagar's eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. And God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. Now to me that's just... Um, again, is symbolic of, of being an Arab. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that the Arabs are bad people. Um, Islamists obviously are, but not all Arabs are Muslim. There are a lot of Christian Arabs today, so I'm not at all trying to demonize the Arab race in, in any sense. But it did say that they would be wild people. They would be violent people. They would be against every man, even their own brothers. So, um, Historically, they are a wild, um, warring people. 
And we found that Nimrod, if you remember, was an archer. He carried a bow. And we find here, interestingly, that Ishmael, who is going to, again, father many Arab nations, is also an archer. So, you know, mighty hunters, there's that connection there. And verse 21, And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. Now she did so because, again, that's her original people. That's where Abraham got Hagar was from Egypt. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the chief captain of his host, spake unto Abraham, saying, God is with thee in all that you do. But we're back to the narrative of Abimelech and Abraham. So Abimelech said to Abraham, God's with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear unto me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me, nor with my son, nor with my son's son, but according to the kindness that I have done unto you, you shall do unto me, and to the land wherein you have sojourned. And what he means here by kindness is that, you know, God appeared to Abimelech in chapter 20, and said, don't go into Sarah, don't take her for a wife, she's another man's wife. She belongs to Abraham. Even though he told you and she told you that she was his sister, it's a half-truth. Basically, Abimelech forgave Abraham for doing that to him, for lying to him, and for almost causing him his life. And just like the other Egyptian had done, king of Egypt, uh, when this happened in the past, because this was a repeat of something that Abraham had done in the past, God made sure that Abimelech had blessed Abraham richly. And he basically came out of the situation with more than he had going into it. So here Abimelech saying, I've been very good to you. And I even said, you know, pick any parcel of land in all this land of Egypt and you can dwell wherever you want. And I don't know, excuse me, I don't know if Abimelech was in Egypt. No, he was in the land of Gerar. So forgive me there for that mistake. Um, but yeah, Abraham had done this in Egypt, and then he had done this in Gerar. So basically, Abimelech had said, pick anywhere in my land, and it's yours, take it. So he's saying now, do unto me the kindness that I've done unto you. Remember me, remember my children. May your children remember my children. Let's make this covenant. Verse 24, and Abraham said, I will swear. And Abraham reproved Abimelech because of a well of water, which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. So here Abraham said, look, I will swear, but just don't let what just happened with your servants happen again in the future, or else this covenant is going to be null and void. Because, yes, you've given me this land of sojourn, and you bless me with men servants and maid servants and cattle and this and that, but your servants, whether you knew about it or not, they came over here and violently took this well of water from me and my family. So, Abimelech said, I knew not who has done these things. Neither did you tell me. Neither had I heard of it but today. So Abimelech didn't know, in all honesty. And so Abraham just making sure he does know so that it won't happen again. Verse 27, Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them unto Abimelech, and both of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. 
Now, this is how you know Abraham is a man of the true God, because whenever the true God would do anything covenant-wise or just anything important in the Holy Bible involving sacrifices, God always did it in sevens. He does it from the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. Study it for yourself and tell me I'm wrong. Seven, 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 seven. You will find it all throughout the Holy Bible. That's why I believe God, Yahweh's number is seven, seven, seven. His name in the Hebrew even resembles three sevens. So it's the best number in the world, the number seven, because it is associated with God and his perfection and his holiness all throughout the Holy Bible. And so Abraham took seven ooh lambs as the symbol of this covenant. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What mean these seven ooh lambs which you have set by themselves? Now Abimelech, not really being knowledgeable of the true God Yahweh, like Abraham was, who walked with Yahweh, who was a friend of Yahweh, he was unaware that seven was tied in with God so intimately. And he said, For these seven ooh lambs shall you take out of my hand, that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this well. Verse 31, Wherefore he called that place Beersheba, because there they swear, both of them. Verse 32, Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. You'll notice whenever men of God had made covenants in the Holy Bible, wherever something really important and historical happened, that was noteworthy uh, historically in the Holy Bible, you'll notice that they named the place or that city, wherever it was, after the covenant they had made or after whatever had happened there. So that's why if you go to Israel today, there is a place called Beersheba. That name remains to this day because it reminds people of the covenant that Abraham had made there thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. So Israel today is just living history, and I love it. It's amazing. Um, they swear there at Beersheba, both of them. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech rose up, and Fecal, the chief captain of his host, and they returned into the land of the Philistines. So as I said in the last study, that Gerar uh, would be near modern-day Gaza and Palestine. And this just proves it because they were going back um, into the land of Gerar, where they had dwelt. And it was referred to as the land of the Philistines. Now I write, again in my first book, The Signs of Our Time, so if you really want to understand the history of Israel, you want to understand why Palestine has no claim to the land, why they're the ancient enemies of Israel, um, you need to read that book. The Philistines is the ancient name for the Palestinians. Uh, if you ever read of Philistines, it means modern-day Palestinians. If you read of Philistia, um, that means modern-day Palestine. So, that's, at this time, the location where this covenant had happened. And... Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. So there he called on Yahweh, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' land many days.
that'll do it. Next time, we're going to continue to talk about Abraham and his son Isaac. We're going to talk about one of the biggest events in Abraham's life and an event that has ramifications for us today, thousands upon thousands of years later. It affects all of our salvation today because of the great mercy that God had not only on Abraham but on all of us. And this one event is going to foreshadow what God is going to do for us. So don't miss it. Tune in next time. And until then, my friends, as always, God bless y'all.